message this evening that I think it's very fitting. Um, aren't you glad the Lord takes you like you are? Now, it's not his goal to leave you that way or me that way, but he takes us just as we are, knowing us perfectly like he does. And uh, with that thought in mind, I would like to preach a message this evening entitled, The Problem of Perception. The Problem of Perception. I'm going to read three uh, portions of scripture from the book of Genesis that are narrative uh, and uh, tell us about three instances in the life of Jacob. Now, let me just tell you right up front, the first instance that we're going to read takes place when he's almost a hundred years old. The second instance takes place when he's about 110 years old. And the third instance takes place when he is 130 years old, uh, just before he goes into Egypt at Joseph's discovery and invitation. Remember, he would live in Egypt for 47 years, or for, pardon me, 17 years, and die at the age of 147. And it's significant that he's 100, 110, and 130. And I'll make a point of that in a moment. Genesis chapter 31 and verse number 17. And we'll read two sections of scripture in this chapter. And then we'll look at Genesis 37 and 42. Genesis chapter 31 and verse number 17. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord's help. Father, give us your strength. I pray that we would have humble hearts before you. I pray that tonight we would be reminded from your spirit and the word of God of our own limitations and frailty and how if we're not careful, Lord, we can make judgment calls based on our limited perception that cause great harm. And so help us to seek your mind and your way when it comes to interactions and situations in life. I thank you, Lord, for how you have worked in me in this way. And I know I have a long way to go on this subject, this matter, but I thank you for the work that you've done. And now give us all help. Feed us and grow us from your word this evening, I pray, under the direction of God's Spirit. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 17, Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods, which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten in Padanaram, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and rose up, and passed over the river, and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Then Laban overtook Jacob. And then look down at verse number 30. And now, though thou wouldest needs be gone, this is part of Jacob, or Laban's speech to Jacob once they have, he's caught him. And now, though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou sore longedst after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? 
Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peradventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me, and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, and into Leah's tent, and into the two maidservants' tent, but he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent but found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched but found not the images. And Jacob was wroth. And chowed with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before my brethren and thy brethren that they may judge betwixt us both. Jacob failed in perception in this area because he thought Laban was dead wrong in his accusation that the gods had been stolen. I want you to look now at Genesis 37. Genesis chapter 37 and verse number 31. Genesis 37 and verse number 31. This is after Jacob has sent 17-year-old Joseph to Shechem and then on to Dothan to find his brothers. They see him coming. They conspire to put him in a pit and then to kill him. They decide not to kill him in Reuben's absence and sell him to the Midianite merchantmen going down to Egypt. And then they take his coat of many colors and tear it and soak it in goat's blood in order to concoct a story that Joseph has been slain by a wild animal. As a matter of fact, they reference that back over in verse number 20. Notice, if you would, though, verse number 31 of the text. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the rest of the story. And the Midianites sold him, Joseph, into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and a captain of the guard. And yet, second time, Jacob's perception was wrong. Now notice, if you would, chapter 42. This is 20 years after Joseph has been sold into slavery. 20 years have passed. Jacob's still bearing the grief and the burden of that. Notice, if you would, verse number 42. This is after the brothers have returned from their first trip down. Chapter 42. 
and verse number 29. And the brothers, they came unto Jacob their father into the land of Canaan and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men. We are no spies. We are twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the younger, youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone, and bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land." And it came to pass as they, the ten brothers, emptied their sacks, or the nine brothers, and everyone's bundle, his money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. A third time. Jacob's perception fails him. The problem of perception. Now, let me just begin here at the outset and say, God has been working on me about this issue. We've been having discussion about this as a family, about how easily we make decisions and judgment calls and conclusions based on perception. I'll also say this, this is kind of an incubator message, and that is this, I'm doing a lot more thinking about this, and I just wanted, as I prayed about it, I sensed the Lord wanted me to go ahead and bring uh, this early stage of this to us this evening to get us all thinking about it. I would also say this, Jacob's age indicates that misperception is not a youth issue. There's a sense in which we could say a young person's perception ability is faulty because of immaturity. But Jacob is an older man and is making wrong perception. I was thinking about this. We had supper this week with Ryan and Cynthia, and we were talking about evidence that is admissible in a courtroom. And do you know how often and how easy it is for us to form a judgment based on one perception or a simple perception to form a judgment? And we form a judgment that would never stand up for conviction in a court of law. And so to form a judgment on perception would not be admissible. Now, I know there are varying numbers of this, but do you know that there are some 20-plus kinds of evidence that lawyers try to bring into a courtroom in order to convict? 20-some kinds. And whatever one they bring, there has to be multiple kinds in order for a conviction to be brought, and all the kinds have to be proven beyond reasonable doubt. And complicating this is that for many folks, our perception is our reality. Can I say it again? For many of us, what we perceive is what we conclude is the real fact. And yet we must understand the limitations of perception. So here's what I want to propose to us tonight. Perception 
Let's just get this ingrained in our thinking when it comes to our interactions in a family, when it comes to our interactions in a home, when it comes to how we perceive situations and events. Perception is an insufficient basis for making judgments, decisions, and conclusions about people, motives, and decisions. It's an insufficient basis. How do you define perception? Very simply, we can define perception this way. That's how I see it. That's how I see it. All I have to do is say, have you ever been wrong before? My perception is limited because I'm finite. My perception is limited because I'm fallen myself. My perception is limited because often I'm biased. Do you know many times when we form a judgment on a person or a situation based on perception, we do so from the standpoint that I'm the standard. Okay. And our perception becomes our reality and how often we're myopic, we're very nearsighted in how we view a situation. When my dad was a younger pastor in those early years at LifeGate Baptist Church, the church in St. Louis where my brother Levi now pastors, uh, he pulled a practical joke on a college choir from a college in Oklahoma. I guess he was more of a free spirit back in those days. It was a choir of 40 young people, 20 young men, 20 young ladies. The ladies all got farmed out to houses, families in the church, and then they bedded down all these 20 guys and a couple of staff members in the auditorium at church. Dad at the time pastored a church with seven law enforcement officers in it. In the course of interacting with this choir, when they came to sing in ministry at the church, he found that one of the boys was a former drug dealer who had just been saved a few years out of drug dealing. And he began to think, and my dad began to think, oh, man, this would be a really fun joke. These seven police officers, here's this guy, man, we could pull a big old prank. And so at 2 a.m., he worked together with the police officers. They brought the boy, who was the former drug dealer, in on the joke. He was sleeping up on the platform. 2 a.m., they come busting in, waking boys up, jostling with their feet, getting them up. And uh, where's so-and-so, they're saying, where's so-and-so? And they said, he's up on the platform. You can imagine these boys knocking sleep out of their eyes. He's up on the platform. And they come running up on the platform. And the boy, who was the former drug dealer, now a member of this Baptist college choir traveling all over America, okay, almost broke out laughing and couldn't, so he plunges his face into his hands, and he says, you caught me, you caught me, just like this. They came up on the platform. They said, son, you are under arrest for dealing drugs in this city, this city, this city, and this city. And they named off city after city of the itinerary they had just followed. (laughs) Hauled the boy out. Then, Then the officer said, we understand you boys share suitcases. And we found, and they held out a bag of powdered sugar. And we found this. Where's his suitcase partner? Now, I got it. Let me just just protect my dad's dignity here. He would never do this again, I promise you. But I'm driving at something. Stick with me. They started interrogating this boy. You mean you share a suitcase with this boy and you didn't know this stuff was here? And these college-age young men, some of them started crying. Dad said there was one freshman who started saying, I saw him sitting back there in the back of the bus acting strange. 
I knew it. Something was fishy. Now we know the truth. And finally, one of the officers and my dad, they got together. We got to do something to stop this. So the officer came back in, lined all these boys up, started pacing back and forth in front of me. He says, I can't believe this. A Catholic choir traveling all over America, singing about God and dealing drugs at the same time. One of the boys said, officer, officer, we're not Catholic, we're Baptist. And the officer said, you're Baptist? I'm Baptist. I can't arrest other Baptists and just walked out. Now, after the other guys were brought back in, including the former drug dealer, brought back in, the bus driver, who was a staff member, pulled out his tape recorder and hit rewind. And hit play. And they're all having a really good time laughing about the joke until they got to the part where that young freshman said, I saw him sitting back there in the back of the bus acting strange. And all of a sudden, the consequences of perception being wrong came home to roost. You probably can come up with your own illustrations. I was reminded again in preparation for the message tonight of a pastor friend of mine who I heard when he preached at the college recounting how he was preaching against an errant doctrine one night that was not consistent with, or one morning that was not consistent with the scripture, this errant doctrine, and noticed the man who had been a member of his church for a long time sitting over here on one side just squirming in this somber look on his face. And my pastor friend admitted, he said, as I was preaching, I was sitting there thinking, yep, I've outed this closet This guy who is espousing this errant doctrine, he's been concealing it. Yep, that's exactly right. He was looking at, look on his face. After the service, he noticed that man pulled one of his assistant pastors aside. And this pastor had finished all of his conversations. And as he was leaving the service, he crossed paths with the assistant pastor. And he said, "Uh, that preaching I did today on that errant doctrine rooted him out, didn't it? The assistant pastor said, no, pastor, actually, the man is under a great burden. He lost his job this week. Recently, one of my family members took a picture of my dad sitting on the platform of the church that he pastors, and in the background is a snare drum. And it got posted on social media. You know, you could look at that. You could say, yep. First Baptist Church of Wayland, Pastor Dietrich, going contemporary. Drums on the platform. It was actually a prop from the Christmas cantata. It was a story. The Christmas cantata story or drama was uh, set back in the Revolutionary War era. This... <laughs> And it was simply a snare drum to replicate the sound of those colonial soldiers marching. Perception. In the first account, Jacob's perception about Laban and Laban's accusation that his gods had been stolen, Jacob was wrong. Jacob thought Laban was wrong. 
In the second account, Genesis 37, as he held Joseph's bloody coat in his hands, he thought, Joseph is dead. But he was wrong. In the third account, as he interacted with his sons after their first trip to Egypt, he said, all these things are against me. And he was wrong. read this past week of a preacher who was a a well-known preacher, and he was preaching at a large conference, and before he began his several sessions of preaching at this large conference, conference with several thousand people there, an elderly couple came up to him, and the elderly man said to this preacher, Dr. So-and-so, he said, you're my favorite preacher. I have all your books. I listen to you every week. You're my favorite preacher. I've been waiting for months to come to this conference. And so when the well-known preacher got up to preach his first message and then his second message and then his third message, as the story goes, he noticed this elderly couple sitting on the front row out of thousands of people, this elderly couple. And he said, every time he preached, he said, that man went, Through the whole message, he said, I said, open your Bibles. And it was like his cue to go, just like that. He said, the more I saw it, the more upset I got. He said, at the end of the conference, after I had wrestled this thought, favorite preacher, yeah, right. What a carnal man. Yes, we preachers think that sometimes. The wife of the man came up to the well-known preacher and she said, Pastor so-and-so, I know my husband slept through all your preaching. But I want you to know this. Recently he was diagnosed with a terminal illness that has with it excruciating pain. And The only way that he could even bear to be here in these services was the medication the doctors gave him to make his pain bearable puts him to sleep. And as you can imagine, that preacher said, I just wanted to go crawl in a hole. Perception. As I've thought about these three accounts in Jacob's life, I've gleaned and I've recognized several dangerous consequences that come with making judgments based on perception. First of all, Making a judgment, coming to a conclusion can cause you to make foolish promises. Jacob said to Laban, with whomever you find the gods, let him die. <laughs> whoa, 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 Jacob, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just a little drastic. What if he would have found him with Rachel? Making judgments, coming to dogmatic conclusions based on our perception alone as an insufficient basis for doing so can cause us to make foolish promises. We can make foolish promises financially based on perception. Boy, we can perceive, man, this is a really good deal, or that guy would be a good guy to enter into a business deal with, or man, he's got this promise of how if we invest this money, boy, boy, you can make perception judgments and you can make a real mistake and a foolish promise. 
I think about Joshua and the Gibeonites. Joshua chapter number 9. God had told Joshua and the children of Israel, destroy all the Canaanites. Joshua chapter 9. A group called the Gibeonites took moldy bread, even though they weren't very far away, and they put on old, worn-out clothes and sandals and acted like they had come a long, long way. And Joshua chapter 9 says this, that when the Gibeonites came and stated their false case to Joshua, that Joshua and the elders of Israel took of that bread, the moldy, and asked not counsel of the Lord. And for generations to come, they would regret that. Perception caused them to make a foolish promise. I'll say this as well. Another dangerous consequence of making judgments based on perception is it can cause or start bitter feuds. I can perceive something, make an accusation about someone or to someone based on my perception. I can be dead wrong, but that accusation can start a bitter feud. Jacob, it says of him, when Laban couldn't find the gods, the Bible tells us that Jacob was wroth. The word means red hot. And then it says he was wroth and he chode with Laban. The word chode literally means to grapple in defense for a position. As you read the entire account of Genesis chapter number 31, you get the sense that it was a very volatile situation, that one more wrong move and it could have ended in bloodshed. And Jacob's faulty perception just nearly sent the thing over the top. And he was wrong. As I think about the Genesis 37 account, as he held Joseph's bloodied, torn coat in his hands, and he, look back at, if you would, at Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Verse number 33, and he knew it, speaking of Joseph's coat and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his sons many days. He'll go on to say that this is going to bring down his gray head to the grave. You know what he's saying? I'm going to carry this with me till I die. He's going to live under the grief of this. The rest of his life, and yet his perception was wrong. I see in this instance that a dangerous consequence of living and interacting with or making judgments based on my perception alone can many times not only cause me to make foolish promises, start bitter feuds, but it also can have the dangerous consequence of causing me to see the future with despair. No hope. I was listening to a message on my way back from Durham yesterday. And the preacher said this, For some folks, despair becomes a way of life. And that's essentially what's happening with Jacob. I'm going to carry this to my grave, he says. It's a statement of no hope. In other words, there can't be any good that comes out of this. No resolution, no rescue, no purpose in it. 
It's almost as if he's committing himself to a lifestyle of despair. But what about verse 36? At that very moment, Joseph, in the perfect plan of God, is on his way to Egypt. Now, I want you to notice as we look at chapter number 42, this third instance. Chapter number 42, in verse number 36, he tells his sons, all these things are against me. Now, I ask you this evening, who controls sovereignly our circumstances? God does. And by the way, Jacob says, all these things are against me. And we could, if you would, based on 2020 being hindsight, and we have a completed Bible, we could, can I say this, cut Jacob some slack. We could. But for one thing. Keep your hand here. Jacob says in chapter 42, all these things are against me. In a sense, it's a veiled accusation against God or a veiled expression of doubt towards God. Everything is against me. I want you to go back, though, to chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse number 13. This is when Jacob is leaving his dad and mom He's going to Haran, and remember, he stops at Beersheba, or he goes out from Beersheba. He's at a place that will later be called Bethel before he ever gets down to Laban. That first night he sleeps, and the night he sees the ladder ascending up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. Something, if you would, of an Old Testament prophetic picture of the Lord Jesus. John chapter number 1 Give us information about that. But I want you to notice what God says. Genesis chapter 28, verse number 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, the ladder, and said to Jacob, I am the God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He is reiterating to Jacob, the third generation from Abraham, the unconditional Abrahamic covenant. In thee... The end of verse number 14. And in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in how many places whither thou goest? All. And will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Now what's interesting, when Jacob wakes up and realizes what's happened, God has just unconditionally committed himself in goodness to Abraham. But notice how Jacob responds. Verse number 19, 20, pardon me. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, what's the first word of his vow? (laughs) I'm glad that when I use an if, God's commands and covenant or his covenants are still unconditional. It's as if Jacob almost becomes conditional. If God will be with me, well, he just told you he would. And will keep me in this way that he just said he would. And will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. 
so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. Notice the if-then condition. And here's what gets me about years later, after Jacob has seen the merciful, loving, kind, generous, abundant hand of God time and time and time again on his life, Jacob wrongly perceives that everything is against him. And so another dangerous consequence of wrong perception is doubt against God. Now, I've put another one here, and I'm just going to mention it to us, and that is this. I think when a person lives by, when I, you, any of us, live primarily by perception when it comes to conclusions that we draw, it has the potential also to stunt spiritual growth. Because out of our own limited experience, we make decisions rather than regularly going back to the Lord and getting His mind, His direction, His conclusion. Now, let me just be working this to a conclusion. What are some practical responses? We've seen Jacob's three instances of wrong perception. We've considered the dangerous consequences of living and making judgments based on our perception alone. It is an insufficient basis. The dangerous consequences, it may lead me to make foolish promises, start bitter feuds. I've been amazed. I thank God, not necessarily in this church, but of stories that I've heard from pastor friends and others of deep, divisive, bitter feuds that have been started in families and churches. And when you start to dig in and do the research and the counseling, you find out that it was based on faulty perception. Another dangerous consequence, it can cause despair for the future, doubt against God. It stunts actual growth, spiritual growth, and biblical discernment. So what are some practical responses? Let me just give several, and then we'll conclude. And again, this is a work in progress in our lives. I'm just trying to get us to think about this. It's a warning. It's a warning for all of us. The first is this. Jesus said in John chapter 7 and verse number 24, judge not according to appearances, but judge righteous judgment. In other words, when I judge by my perception based on appearances, following Jesus' logic, that is not righteous judgment. When I draw conclusions based on my limited perception, when I draw conclusions based on externals, I can be dead wrong. Judge not according to appearances, Jesus said. Literally what you see in the context of John chapter number 7, the Jews have just accused Jesus of being demonically motivated. And the reason they said that he was possessed of and motivated by a demon is because he had healed the paralytic man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. And their conclusion was, because he did that on the Sabbath, he must be demon-possessed. Jesus brought up circumcision. And he said to them, you know, in obedience to the law of Moses, that didn't begin with Moses, but rather with the fathers, just to get a right understanding of circumcision, you have no problem circumcising an eight-day-old baby on the Sabbath. 
but you've got a major problem with me healing a paralytic on the Sabbath? And they were drawing conclusions based on their perception. Jesus confronted it. Matthew chapter 7, a friend of mine years ago said, Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged is the life verse of many new evangelicals. You get in the context. You know, he's not saying don't judge. He's saying when you judge, make sure you do it the right way. Make sure you don't have a two-by-four sticking out of your eye when you get all worked up over a splinter in your brother's eye. Can I say it this way? Before you bring any judgment, go look in a spiritual mirror and make sure that you're in the right place to do so. Judge righteous judgment. What an important practical response for us as it relates to our understanding, the limitations, the insufficiency of perception. Number two, seek the counsel of the Lord. I'm going to be, I I try to be transparent. I'm going to be very transparent with you here. I am convicted and have been convicted over the last several weeks about how easy it is for me to draw a conclusion based on perception about a person or a situation on the basis of very little prayer. We already mentioned, as we think about the importance of seeking the counsel of the Lord, we already mentioned Joshua chapter 9 and verse number 14 where Joshua and the elders of Israel gave in to the Gibeonites based on their perception and took of that moldy bread and then the Bible says they asked not counsel of the Lord. Listen to another classic Old Testament passage that shows us, that highlights the insufficiency of man's perception and the importance of seeking the counsel of the Lord. Second, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he, Samuel, looked on Eliab, Jesse's firstborn son, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, and you know, we could look at Samuel, we could say, Samuel, Samuel, wait a minute, didn't you just get your fill of big, tall, dark, and handsome, strapping-looking guys? A.K.A. Saul? How'd that one turn out? Verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Judge righteous judgment. Seek the counsel of the Lord Let me say a third practical response when it comes to identifying the insufficiency of perception and seeking to judge righteously in situations and people. A third practical response is this. Remember your own deep brokenness. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, incurably wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the hearts. He's the one that tries the reins. Remember our own deep brokenness. Thirdly, I think about Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 8. Think according to reality. If you know it, quote, the first part of Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Finally, 
my brethren, whatsoever things are... Okay, stop right there. You read commentaries and you look into the grammar and the word true there is synonymous, get this, with the idea, think on things that are reality. What is the reality of the situation? Not my perception, but the reality. Think according to reality. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely. If there be, and of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let me give you a fifth practical response and then one final and a sixth. And this one I thought of and got it written out in the margin. James chapter 1 and verse number 19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Why? For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Do you remember what Jacob's response was based on his wrong perception? He was wroth and chode, and he was dead wrong. James warns us in that so practical epistle of his let every man be swift to hear. Take your time. Communicate. There have been a number of times that I've had a perception of a situation, but when I actually sat down in a counseling setting or in a conversation with the person that I had made a perception on, I found out my perception was wrong. Because taking time and communicating We need the wisdom that is from above. I love James chapter 3. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated without partiality and without hypocrisy and full of mercy and good fruits, the Bible says. So think according to reality. Take your time. Communicate. Remember your own deep brokenness. Seek the counsel of the Lord. Judge righteous judgment. And then a final one, and that is this. Learn better to love by faith as opposed to loving by sight. Do you know how easy it is for us to love by sight what we see? Jesus even warned about loving like the scribes. You love those that are like you. The scribes do that. But love by faith That is not based on what I perceive, but on what God says in his word about how I'm supposed to love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look at this passage and then I'll conclude. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse number 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, notice this, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, and then this verse here, beareth all things, what's the next characteristic of love? Believeth all things. I heard someone say this years ago, Love believes the best, gives the benefit of the doubt. It hopeth all things, 
Remember one of the dangerous consequences of forming judgments and conclusions based on perception? Hope can go out the window. I think this story's over with. And yet, get this, in God's plan, what was he doing in Jacob's life? He was, in fact, bringing together the salvation of the family, the deliverance of the nation, and doing a great work through Joseph that would save two nations. Love believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Notice verse number 8. Charity never what? Faileth. The idea is it never falls out of use. It never goes out of style. It never wilts like a flower. Charity, love, is always applicable and always in season. Okay. Now you say, Pastor, my perception of a situation makes, <laughs> makes it hard for me to love. Then love by faith. That's what we must do. Love by faith. And so I conclude with this. I've been convicted much lately in my own heart and life. And I have this, you can see it later if you want, in quotes. I've been convicted much lately about how conditional my love and my responses can be based on perception. But here's how I want to conclude this. As a, as a challenge, as a, an encouragement to us, and to end with our focus on Christ, and that is this. The only person, and it's in all caps in my notes, the only person, speaking of Christ, that has ever had perfect knowledge of everyone, ironically enough, is the one who loves perfectly. <laughs> His perception has never been wrong. He knows you. I'm thinking of Vance Havner saying, if I knew you like you know you, I wouldn't preach to you. But if you knew me like I know me, you wouldn't waste your time listening to me either. But the one who knows me perfectly loves me perfectly. And let that, let him be our model. When it comes to the weight that we give to perception. We see it illustrated the fallibility of it in Jacob's life. We see the dangerous consequences of it when a person lives by it. And we see the practical responses. In light of the faultiness of perception, how should I proceed biblically? And then we finish with our eyes on Christ, who knows perfectly and yet loves me anyway. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you as we think about using an Old Testament narrative passage that these things were written aforetime for our learning. And uh, these are examples to us. <clears throat> and Lord, I pray that as we continue to think about that, I trust that you just embed these thoughts deeply into our hearts and minds. 
Lord, I really believe if we can get a grasp of the, the limitations of perception, it would do so much to contribute to unity in our lives with others. And so, God, I pray for your help. I pray that we would keep our eyes on Jesus and how he handled situations. Even when he knew and knows all that he does, he loves like he does. Lord, how that thrills our hearts, it humbles us, and it challenges us. And so my desire tonight is, Lord, would you help me to be more like Jesus? And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Judson.